Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, truly welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can call 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Questions, comments, concerns, or anything to do with the outdoors. Alex will be answering the phone. Just your first name and where you're calling from. And Mr. Kelly, yo, uh, is what month is this? Is this April? When you woke up and got up this morning. Oh, I know. I, it was cool outside. I mean, like, really cool. Yeah. That, I noticed I'm wearing jeans this morning, <laughs> which I had to find them. I thought, I wonder where I put them. And then uh, we slept with the, the window open. Ooh. And so I, I closed it when I left. Oh, I, did you? I asked you, you want me to close the window? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. It is. It's crazy. I mean. But I love the sound of the rain. So that's, I, that's why I opened the window last night. I just love that sound. So. But yeah, it is. It's uh, kind of refreshing, and I can't wait. And of course, I'm off Monday and Tuesday, and Monday 76, Tuesday 77. All okay, right. I can do that <laughs> for sure. Recharge your batteries, oh, and then yeah. we head back into the 90s. Exactly. <laughs> well, so, great. Yeah, I yeah. figured. You know, you get up at like 3:30 or something. Goes yeah, on. on Saturday I do. Yeah. Yeah. So when you step out that door, that's got to be. <laughs> it was a little. It was actually, you know, you turn off the AC and put the the thermometer in the car, just about. 50-50 right there, and it was, it was pretty nice, for oh, sure. great. Well, thanks. Right. Yes, folks, on Saturday mornings, we get together and we have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your landscape. What about that specialty garden space? How come your tomatoes are not doing so well? And uh, how about the taste of the tropics? How about those houseplants? Why don't my hibiscus continue to flower? Hmm... And what is potting mix? Why does that guy keep talking about potting mix versus potting soil? How to improve your soil to make your plantings do better once you get around to it. Pruning, shearing, uh, get what's that bug there? Ooh, ooh, ooh. And uh, speaking of bugs, I haven't had any grasshoppers earlier in the year, but all of a sudden my alley bed, that's where the grasshoppers seem to hang out. I'm starting to see a couple of young grasshoppers. Boy, they are hard to Catch. But anyway, hopefully you'll use the information that I share with you to, to make the best decision you can related to your landscape. But obviously the final judgment is going to be on your part. And this is your show, by the way. Thanks for having me on your show. And I appreciate you inviting me into your car, your home, or wherever you happen to be listening. 
Another very important player in the game is Alex. Alex is a producer. He pushes all the buttons. He answers the phone. I mean, the guy is very, very, very talented. And I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting a Garden Hotline since 1994. I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation if you like. And uh, that's what I call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. Homepage, that's where my email address and phone number is. Today after the show, I'm headed towards South County and uh, off Butler, or I, actually off Kurth Road, Butler Hill, all the, down 55, all that other kind of stuff. Okay, let's get moving. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. July just finished, and guess what? Fourth wettest July in, in our region in history. That is absolutely unbelievable. So let's see. Really, really wet. What better place to go to than the rain gardens? What rain gardens am I talking about? Well, the rain gardens at the Missouri Botanical Garden parking lot. So, I mean, what they do is, so the water doesn't, it used to, historically, before they redid the parking lots and everything else, Ridgeway Center and all that stuff, long ago when I was actually still working there, uh, they've actually cut grates out in the parking lot, and they're running water to specific bed spaces. And then all the plants in there that can handle really wet soils are there with the name tags and everything else. And so you could go there and just kind of take a look. So if you have a low, wet spot in your landscape and you'd like to have maybe a bed space, but maybe just a single tree, maybe a single couple shrubs or some perennials and shrubs, who knows what. But you can find out what ones are going to do really, really, really well. And actually, there was a couple plants there that I <laughs> I was unfamiliar with. So now I got to go home after the show, after my appointment in South County, and uh, t- take a look at these things because I didn't I didn't recognize them. So anyway, but uh, in the parking lot, walking around, a couple of the things that uh, you can have in a wet garden space or a low wet spot in your landscape for beds. And then you could use uh, Rain Garden Mix from St. Louis Composting as well. But uh, Longleaf Speedwell, that's a type of Veronica. The White False Indigo, Hardy Hibiscus. And here's one I didn't recognize. The American Beak Grain, B-E-A-K-G-R-A-I-N. I don't know that plant. And uh, they've got signs there, and it tells you what these rain gardens are about, and they're calling it, these plants are at work. So what they're doing is absorbing the moisture that comes running in off the parking lot into these bed spaces. Some of the other plants that are available for wet spaces are prairie drop seed, which is an ornamental grass, black gum tree, not sweet gum, black gum, which has spectacular fall color and small black fruits, uh, blue star. This is one I didn't know. Crinin, 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 C-R-I-N-U-M, crinum, crinum. Hmm, don't know that plant. It looks almost like totally wild, crazy, almost like a kind of a cactus yucca type thing. But there it is in the rain garden space. So then there's river birch, the smooth hydrangeas, the pink or chinkapin oaks, the black chokeberry, the possum. <laughs> here's a possum haw, viburnums, willow oaks, white berries. Keloni, which is turtle head, that's a perennial, and then winterberry. That's some of the plants that they had 
in the rain garden areas in the parking lot at the Missouri Botanical Garden. So that gives you some kind of idea of options and potential things that you could have in your landscape. Should we go ahead and take a call or should we? Uh, he's weighing his. Sure. <laughs> Let's head out to Frank's yard in St. Charles. Hi, Frank. Hi, Mike. Uh, hey, listen, my question is, uh, back in May, I replaced a uh, crepe myrtle that uh, uh, was quite old. It wasn't producing. It wasn't doing anything. I put a new one in and uh, uh, did the appropriate stuff. Uh, in other words, I, uh, I amended the soil. I left it at least 20% above the ground. My problem is I did my mulch in a circle and kept it away. And now for the last number of, uh, oh, the last week or so, uh, it's, it's just floating in water. And, um, I thought, you know, that thing's going to die. Some of the yellow leaves at the bottom are falling off. My question is, it's young enough now. And I know those little feeder roots are tender. Could I pull that out and dry it until this stuff because I think that crepe myrtle is going to die with, with all this moisture in this spot. I completely agree with you. If you don't get it up out of that hole, you know, where it's basically, like you said, floating in water, it's dead for sure. So get it right. out. You know, I don't know what you want to do. You want to put it back in a pot and hold on to it that way for a little while until you can get this, this spot. It's surprising this spot is going to be so wet because you had crepe myrtle in that exact location prior to this. Well, it, it, that's, that's a true statement, Mike, and I, uh, I put it in the exact location. The other one was so old, I mean, I had to use a saw to get, you know, the big, the big roots out. Right. And uh, I, I expanded the hole. I amended the soil with some potting mix and the existing dirt. And like I say, uh, that was in May, and it's just been the last, let's say, two weeks. It was doing good. It got its first blooms on it and uh then i started looking at it and i thought it's dropping leaves and so i pulled all the mulch back and underneath it was nice and loose is muddy right and right now it's sitting in water and i thought it's either gonna die or it's young enough i think i can pull it out with a you know without a lot of a problem right and like you say put it get it in a a dry environment because this rain doesn't look like it's going to end right. for a while. I mean, like I said in the introduction, uh, the Good Gardening Stroll, fourth wettest July in history for this region. So that shows you, you know, even if you've done everything pretty much right, you know, there's been so much water that that's what the problem is. But, you know, just get it up out of the ground and kind of keep your fingers crossed that you can get it back into the ground. Okay. Thank, thanks, Mike. I just wanted to make sure. Sure. That logically, I was approaching this in the right way. <laughs> yep, you are. Mike okay. Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Uh, Tracy was watching, uh, I don't know which station she was watching, on her uh, tablet and they showed actually a kid was at, I think he was out in an athletic field, and he got struck by lightning. 
So really, more than 1,000 people get struck by lightning every year in the United States, and more than 100 of those 1,000 die from injuries. But this kid, I don't know how he got struck by lightning, but he ended up getting up on his own. So that's kind of amazing. So, whoa, man, just totally wild stuff with the lightnings. There was hardly any lightning the other day when it was going to start raining, and then there was a huge lightning strike right very near us, so I don't know what it actually hit. But what lightning, if they hit trees, what it does is it boils the sap, and that's why it kills the trees, basically. Let's head now to Mary Jo's yard. Hi, Mary Jo. How are you? Hi, Mike. Uh, My roses are Sharon and my crepe myrtle are blooming beautifully, but I was wondering if it's too late in the year to fertilize them. Oh, no. As long as they're actively growing and and flower, this is the ideal time to fertilize. Okay, great. So Thanks so much for our show. Well, thank you for having me on your show. Greatly appreciate it. Bye-bye. Yeah, I'll tell you what, the Rosa Sharons and... The crepe myrtles, I think, this year are the best that I've, you know, that I've seen. Now, obviously, the first caller, he had problems with his because it was old. But uh, the one thing I'm not seeing very much of is the butterfly bush. So there's lots of different other plants that, you know, are attractive to butterflies and bees and everything else. But the buddleias, I'm not seeing them anywhere. And I, you know, I walk a lot and then I obviously go to people's yards. But the buddleia must not be something that's... uh, you know, a good one. But if you live in an area that's you have a lot of sun and it's where deer are problematic, buddleias are something deer won't go after. And it seems like anything with kind of a gray foliage type circumstance, which the buddleias are and do, um, they don't like for whatever reason. So let's go now and head to John's yard in Chesterfield. Hi, John. Hey, good morning. Hi. So I got a question about tomatoes and elephant ears. On uh, tomatoes, for the first time ever, I decided to spend the extra money and buy some heirloom seeds for the tomatoes. And they're just the um, cherry tomatoes, which I I like. I grow those because I use them in salads. They're easier to slice. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, they're growing like crazy this year. Um, The only thing I've done different this year than every other year that I've had tomatoes is I had the time to pull the suckers so you know, I wouldn't do all those side branches. Right. Now I've got their, I've got t- uh, the tomato frames, super one on top of the other, two stories high on those tomato cages, and they're like over six foot tall. So, how do you prune a tomato plant without screwing it up? <laughs> <laughs> I would say don't, especially the don't. heirlooms. The heirlooms were you know historically ones that were just like go wild and crazy. And because that's what people did in, you know, in the days of old, so heirloom-like. But the newer hybrids, they're the ones that need to be pruned or, you know, cut back or whatever. So just leave them alone. Okay. And what other thing is that there's no bugs, no disease, and I haven't sprayed them at all. I'll tell you what, this year seems to be, for whatever reason, seems to be really down on insect problems. You know, throughout oh. the, a lot of different places, a lot of different plant materials and other things, too. It's really kind of amazing. Even something as simple as flies. You know, I don't see a lot of flies in and around anything. So it's very weird. The other thing on the elephant ears, I tried some a couple of decades ago, and it was like one or two leaves came up, which is what I expected because 
I was I'd seen these monster elephant ears at the Stonehill Winery out in Herman. I thought those are really neat, so mm-hmm. I got one, and it grew about half the size as the ones I'd seen at uh, Herman. I kept I brought it in, did what you're supposed to over winter. It grew next year, and it didn't get any bigger, so I just gave up on it. So this year I decided to try it again, and the bulb looked like a coconut instead of like a tulip bulb, which I had remembered from two decades ago. And these are putting out leaves all around it. Instead right. of like one or two, it's got like half a dozen of them, and they don't get very tall or very big. So am I doing something wrong with these, or can I get the old kind, which will try to just do one or two monster leaves? Uh, basically, what's happened is the size of the the bulb and they, you know, the bigger the bulb, the, like you say, a coconut size, that's the one that's going to produce more. So it's just a matter of, uh, you know, the actual the plant being mature. So in a couple of years, you're going to get bigger and, you know, and more leaves. But the, the bigger the bulb that you put in the ground, the more leaves you're going to get. And are you fertilizing? Yeah, a, a little bit. The, actually, the instructions that came with it said you can fertilize or not. It didn't make any difference, which didn't make any sense to me. Right, because it, what it does is the fertilizing actually encourages the leaves to get bigger and encourages more leaf growth, too. So I would fertilize. So higher nitrogen so, since we're just going for leaves? Uh, no, you don't need high nitrogen. Just uh, basically any kind of you know miracle grow, anything like that at all, whatever you happen to choose. I use, even though I don't grow them for uh, blooms, I use a, a miracle Grow for, I think it's called Blossom Bloom or something. Oh, I, I use that for my other flowers. Yeah, right. So I just use the same thing for pretty much everything. Okay. Now, the shape of the bulb, is that a difference? I mean, the, the bulb I got a couple decades ago looked like a monster tulip bulb, and this thing looks like a coconut. So <laughs> is, does that make is there different varieties? Of yeah, these there are. There's calocasia as well as the regular elephant ear. So you may have had a different type of elephant ear. The calocasia will have a shinier leaf and will produce, you know, leaves, but not as many as a regular elephant ear. Uh, so the coconut-looking one is the regular one, yes, and the other exactly right. Oh, okay, okay. So next year I'll look for a bulb, a, the kind that has looks like a tulip bulb because I like the one or two monster ones. Right. Of, yeah. <laughs> and just you know, you go to a garden center and tell them, ask them if they have the calocasia, C A L O C A S S I A, I think. Okay, it starts with a T. So if I look no, up start elephant ears, no, starts with a C. Cat. Oh, C. Right. Okay. Calocasia. Calocasia. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, it's raining. I don't know if maybe it's not raining right at the second, but uh, why not give us a call? 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Live in an area where, um, let's say, deer are problematic. Well, right now, as I was driving, you know, over towards the botanical garden, I saw there was some lycoris in bloom. Lycoris is a surprise lily. They put the foliage out in May. Then the foliage dies down below the ground, and then it shoots up a stalk with pink flowers on it. It looks like lily-type lily flowers. 
but the lycoris is something the deer will not eat. Also, other bulbs the deer won't eat as alliums, so in other words, onions, crocus, glory of snow, snow drops, cilia, hyacinth, grape hyacinths, uh, fritillarias, and daffodils. So out of all the bulbs, I guess they will pretty much eat any of these summer-type bulbs, but they won't eat any of those hardy-type bulbs that are perennial-types. So anyway, let's go to the phones and head over to John's yard. Hi, John. Yeah, Mike, yes. uh, got got a, planted a couple knockout roses a couple years ago, and the wife says that we have a whole bunch of little bug holes on the leaves. What can we spray those down with to get, keep the bugs off, I Well, guess. basically, unless you use a systemic-type insecticide, so in other words, you one you put onto the ground, water it in, and then it comes up through the vascular system, the, most of the insecticides have to c- come in contact with the actual bug, or you're just wasting your time. But right. what you need okay. to you need to spray the underside of the leaves more so than anything else, or go out okay, early so, in the morning. Okay, so you can put something down on the ground, let it water in, and it gets up through it, and it won't, and they won't touch them. Then hopefully, right? Not. Exactly. If they st- if they eat, it kills them. So it's, a, it's called oh. a systemic s y s t e m i c systemic insecticide. Okay, cool. Also, uh, a couple years ago, uh, she got a couple little bitty saplings from Missouri Conservation, a mm-hmm. uh, couple of dogwoods, I think a uh, red button, whatever. Anyway, the dogwoods were finally tall enough, and we replanted them this year. When is a good time? Because all the little you know branches are coming out, and this leaf like crazy, just like a big clump on top. When is a good time to trim those so that they start looking like a tree? Uh, I would say wait for multiple more years. Because what you're doing is by leaving the maximum amount of leaves possible, you're getting the most food being able to be manufactured by this individual dogwood because it's the sunlight in the leaves plus the nutrients that come up from the uh, root system and the moisture. That's how they make food. So get the thing as healthy and viable before you start fooling around with it. Okay, gotcha. So let it get at least, what, about three feet high, maybe four? Yeah, exactly. And then realize that the dogwood, the classic non-hybrid dogwood that you probably got from the conservation department, you're looking at maybe 10-plus years before you're going to get any flowers at all. Okay, gotcha. Okay, thank you very much. Appreciate it. My pleasure. And now let's head over to Marsha's yard. Hi, Marsha. Hi, um, I just had some, um, my son-in-law has a farm and he brought a bunch of the dirt with the cow manure and stuff. And I was wondering if I need to add anything else to that before I plant my uh, hostas back in there. So in other words, you're, you're going to mix it in with your existing soil? Yeah, but the soil we have here in Washington, Missouri is like clay. <laughs> well, but, that's pretty much classic throughout this entire region. So, but uh yeah, just it should be okay, you know, as far as mix, but just make sure you really blend it in well with the existing soil. Don't just right. uh, let's say layer the new stuff in, and uh, your hostas, you know, they sh- they're pretty tough and durable, so they should be, you know, be fine. It wouldn't hurt to, you know, I know this is just manure and soil from I'm assuming some kind of topsoil from his farm, but it wouldn't right. hurt to add a little bit of compost to that, and just to make your soil even more viable. So. In the future, if you want to add something more to the area rather than just a hostage, let's say you want to add some ferns or some purple coal, you know, coral bells or whatever it happens to be. Okay. So now manure is not like compost? 
Manure in and of itself is not composted unless or it's not compost unless it's been composted. And composting okay. means you layer different kinds of organic matter together and then you blend it. So manure in okay. and of itself is not compost. Okay, gotcha. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And okay. now let's go to Dale's yard. Hi, Dale. Hey, Mike. I got a uh, maple tree that came up in my backyard about three or four inches, and I put it in a pot, and now it's about five feet or so. Can I put that in in the ground for the winter? You mean in the pot or in the ground as a no, plant? Yeah, yeah. Take it out of the pot and put it in the ground. I would, yeah, but don't do it now. Wait until the weather. Wait until the foliage falls off. Let's put the it that way. Foliage falls off. Right. Okay, great. And well, thank you very much. Sure, and that way it's All totally right. dormant, and the ground is you know in the fall is the ideal time because the ground is warm. That will encourage. Root system growth, but again, always remember to dig the hole three times the diameter of the root ball, but only about 80% as deep, even for a maple tree. And that way, you're going to have the best chance for the lateral roots, which are the most important, or not the most important, but very important feeder roots. Okay. 80, 80%. Okay. Thank you very much. Right. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. And now let's go to Ruth Ann's yard. Hi, Ruth Ann. Hi, Mike. Um, I planted some elephant ear bulbs as well, and they grew like crazy, the first two leaves. Now, one of the leaves is turning brown on each of the plants. The other one's perfectly green. What do I need to do so that doesn't happen? You can't do anything. That's just the older leaf is going to always turn, let's say, yellow first, and then it'll go to brown, and then it'll just sort of like lose all the strength and just kind of wilt down. So that's just a whole maturing process. But during the time that that's happening, off the existing leaf that you have that looks good, there should be another leaf that's coming off that one. Okay, I can't see it yet, but maybe it's still small. Yeah, well, it's what it'll do is run almost the entire stem leaf or the, the stem of the leaf, the existing leaf, and then it'll kind of slowly, but you know, let's say slowly pull itself up and then it will end up being a little bit tall, you know, on top of the one that you have that's existing. Okay. And then in the fall, when it's time for them to be done, do they just completely turn brown? And that's how you know when it's time to dig them up and take them in or what? You can do that or you can just decide, well, I want to get this done before it gets too cold or to this or to that. And when they start just kind of, let's say, you start to see more browning leaves than you do start to see green leaves or you don't see any new growth at all because the days are getting shorter and their temperatures are getting cooler. You can dig them up at that time. You don't have to wait for them to go dormant themselves. Okay, thank you very much. Sure. And then when you dig them up, chop all the, you know, chop all the stems off and everything else. And I saw some, something on YouTube that this guy was hacking off all the roots on the bottom of them. You don't even have to do that. Just... You know, I've been growing elephant ears for decades, and uh, I just dig them up. And uh, you know, if there's still some roots on the bulb, then if they dry, they'll dry up during the winter time. I always put them in like litter paper bags with newspaper in between all of them. So let's get another call in before we go to break, and let's go over to Danny's yard. Hi, Danny. Good morning, Mike. Hi. I have a simple question for you. What? We have a catalpa tree that's in the yard that's probably 75 years old. Whoa. Yes, yes. I guess my grandpa planted it back in the late 40s, early 50s. And what is the significance of the cigars 
that come on <laughs> alongside the leaves of the catalpa? <laughs> well, basically, basically, it's like it's in the pea family. So those are just pea pods. So those are just seeds. So I said, I don't oh. know why they, you know, they thought of as cigars, you know, way back when. But the, yeah, that's what people call them. But it's just, it's just the seeds. It's like a. Let's say a walnut, it's like a sweet gum ball, it's like, you know, anything that produces seeds, maple squirts, so that's what it is. Yeah, we've had uh, several volunteer trees come up through the years right near that tree, and we've transplanted them, and they've worked out wonderful. I, uh, well, I was told that he planted them for the, uh, so the tree would bear the worms to use for fishing. Whoa. So uh, I don't know about don't, that. Yeah, and it's got a few worms on it this year, so I, I guess... It all makes sense. So that's where the seeds are at or in them pods. Exactly. So just, you know, pull one of the pods when they start getting start to get brown. You can open it up. And probably uh, the pod's probably maybe 8 to 12 inches long. And you'll probably see a separate, you know, bean-looking seed about every 2 to 3 inches. Could I throw them in some potting soil this yeah. fall and see what happens? Right. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Mike. Certainly. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Questions, concerns, comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. we got some lines open. Let's say weed infestations can indicate things about your soil, the growing site, the cultural practices that may need to be changed. So understand that. You're not going to eradicate all the weeds by any means. But uh, ground ivy is often found in shady areas where the shade uh, is basically makes it so you can't grow turf grass in that area. They become thin and does, you know, then they head down, you know, head downhill. This time of year, the annual warm season weeds are, guess what, spurge, ragweed. I found a ragweed growing in my, uh, the bed between the the garage and the alley. And I hadn't seen ragweed in the neighborhood for a long time, so I was a little bit surprised. Purslane, knotweed, mallow, lamb's quarter, black medic, carpet weed, as I was talking about, crabgrass, my yard, probably the, the two worst weeds in my landscape, in my yard, basically, bed space and in the lawns, is crabgrass and spurge. I, that spurge just drives me nuts. It's just, it's, you know, that's the one that kind of looks like a doily, very flat on the ground. And when you dig it up, and I use a dandelion digger to dig it up, it has a single deep taproot kind of thing. And then there's foxtail violets, of course. So let's go now to, nope, no calls. Um, <laughs> I guess the garden hotline's dying. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this is August, so re- realize and keep in mind the fact that the annual cool season weeds are going to be germinating soon. So towards the end of this month, you're going to be putting your pre-emergent down. And that pre-emergent for the cool season weeds is henbit, chickweed, annual bluegrass, prickly lettuce, the Persian speedwell, rabbit foot clover, purslane, and a few things like that. So... This is a month when you actually put a pre-emergent down to get rid of those cool season weeds. So it's twice a year, once when the yellow forsythia is in bloom, and again in August, mid to late August. 
So let's head over to John Jard. Hi, John. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Um, all right. I'm just asking about a gall, oak galls on my tree. Uh-huh. It's about 40 years. My tree is 40 years old in the backyard, and it's loaded with them. And I got another oak tree in the front, or two of them in front, and they got some on it. But is there is that going to hurt my tree? Basically, they become really problematic if you get so many on one branch that actually the weight of the gall can cause some, you know, some splits and cracks and then moisture or, you know, let's say fungus problems can get in there. So th- them in and of themselves do not do that much major damage, but ultimately they can lead to worse problems. And also right. wherever the gall is, a lot of times it can cause that, you know, at that point that twig to sort of snap off. And that's problematic, too, because that reduces the amount of leaf count on the tree. So there's not really, once they're there, there's not really too much you can do as far as getting rid of them. But I would have a tree service come out, and there are some things to prevent them from getting worse. Okay. But my wife's worried about them being cut down. There's one oak tree in the front that's been there for 40-something years, and she wants the county wanted to cut it down many years ago, but I didn't want it because it was a beautiful tree. Right. You know, it's it's got a lot on it, but I still don't want it cut down. But she wants to get hold of the county to cut it down. You don't need to cut the tree down. Just have a tree right. service come out, and there's an injection system that can help reduce, let's say, future gall circumstances. Okay. What about? Oh, I asked you. What does the county come out and inspect the trees like that? No. It's got an individual, you know, the county, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know of them doing that. Maybe they do. I just don't know it. But uh, a private tree service, that's who I'd contact. Do you have any suggestions on them? Well, as far as tree service? Well, Timberline. Okay. All right. I'll let my wife know. All All right. Thank you very much. Certainly. (laughs) And now we're getting all these calls, but it looks like we're just about out of time for this hour so. Everybody that's called in recently, Tom and Mary and Carol and Kathy and Jeanette and Barb, you're going to have to hold on till after the news. So, sorry, I guess I shouldn't have <laughs> I shouldn't have been crying on air. But anyway, another thing about the lightning, the lightning is really important as far as bringing nitrogen out of the air. When you put fertilizer down in the ground or whatever, it goes it stays in the ground for a couple days or on the surface or whatever. And then it becomes a gas and heads up into the air. And until there's a lightning strike, that gas is still in the air. But the way the whole concept works with the lightning, it brings the nitrogen back down. And uh, so that's one of the positive things about lightning strikes as opposed to, you know, the thousand people that gets uh, struck by lightning in the wintertime. But always, stay, you know, make sure that if you're out there, and there's lightning strikes, seek some shelter because it's going to make a big, big difference. So just be really smart. We don't know how much more rain, how much more lightning or anything else we're going to have. But, uh, gee, many. it is the lightning strikes in July was phenomenal. I don't ever remember, you know, seeing or hearing that much lightning. And obviously with all the amount of rain, fourth amount, fourth highest and you know history for this region so it was a very wild july mike miller kmos garden hotline back after these messages kmox and your service welcome to the st louis composting garden hotline 
Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome. And the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trial will be given shortly. But right now, you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And, Mr. Kelly, I see you're working there. I'm just keeping an eye out for anything from the Cardinals or Major League Baseball. Uh, Doesn't sound good, though. Yeah, I mean, how does that work? You're Like, the Cardinals are in Milwaukee, and they're... Stuck in a hotel. They're stuck in a hotel. They're supposed to be quarantining in their rooms. Fourteen and days. And in a hotel. Worth? Well, that's a good question. We'll see where they, what they do if they're not allowed to play. Do they have to stay in the hotel for fourteen days? Good lord. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> it's a real mess. And and the NBA <laughs> and the NHL have done it right, where they have they have basically put their players in what they're calling the bubble. They've sectioned off parts of, for the NHL, Toronto and Edmonton. Of course, right. the NBA is at Disney World. I mean, come on. And they're so far been clean. Wow. And because there's very limited movement and you're not out and about or anything like that. Right. And that's right now the only way to do this. And so I'm worried about baseball. I think it may have been a, a one-week season. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Hope not, wow. but that's what it's looking like. This thing is just so so totally wild and crazy and complicated, and yeah. there's, there's no logic to it whatsoever. And I like what Herb Simmons said in St. Clair County. You know, the businesses don't want to be shut down. The bars don't want to have to close early. Everybody understands that. Right. The only way to get to that point is to socially distance, to wear your mask, to right. wash your hands. And until we do that and we get a lot of people doing it like they've done in other countries— right. We're gonna we're gonna have this around for a long time. Yeah, this is gonna self perpetuate. It is. It's it's, it's tough. Very frightening. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, Brian. You're welcome. And by the way, folks, thanks to you for having me on your show. We're here to discuss plant sele- plant selection, caring for ups and downs related to how your annuals are doing. The house I was at this past uh, Wednesday, boy, they had some periwinkle, the annual periwinkle. They really look good. They were very much into all kinds of other plant materials, too, like a lot of different varieties of hosta. But uh, your bulbs, your summer bulbs, we had two calls last hour about, uh, guess what, elephant ears, or maybe it was three. But there's also other summer bulbs, too, like caladiums that like the shade. There's also cannas. I like cannas myself. I've got four different varieties of canna. And uh, edibles, your, you know, your herbs, don't fertilize those herbs and not too much you can do about watering because of the rain, but uh, don't do overwatering with them. House plants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but remember my answer, comment, and p- opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Alex is producing today, so he answers the phone, just your first name and where you're calling from. During the week, I spend my time doing landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. You'd like for me to come to your home and take a look around for problem-solving, aesthetics, or whatever it happens to be, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com homepage. That's where my email address and phone number is. So I come to your home and share 40-plus years of experience related to the outdoors. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual, group, or a situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. This tip of the trial goes out to, I'm sure Illinois is the same way, but I'm speaking specifically of Missouri. Missouri Highway Department, not only all the trash that they have to pick up that comes out, I can't figure out where some of this stuff comes from, 
but also the guys that cut the grass. Some of those slopes are so steep, I'm sure they've got counterweights on those mowers, but to be at like a 35-degree angle, I mean, that is just totally wild and crazy. So a tip of the trial goes out to all those guys, you know, that cut the, you know, the lawns, you know, on those steep slopes. I'm surprised we haven't by now just kind of let it go to wildflowers and everything else, but we chose not to do that, and that's fine. But those guys on those mowers, on those slopes, you know, they're highway department workers. It's just, like, absolutely incredible. So tip of the trial goes out to the Missouri Highway Department for picking up all the litter and debris and then the guys on the mowers. Unbelievable. So if you do have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi, um, I have a gardenia that was given to me in April. It came with one blossom and, and two buds. Well, the soil was sandy and ashy and so forth. Um, then the leaves started falling off, and the one blossom died, and the buds dried up and fell off. Well, I tried to repot in potting mix, but the leaves kept falling off. So um, I know this is not the climate to... to uh, Potted outside, but is there any way to keep it inside as a houseplant? Gardenias are very tough. There's a few people that have been very successful over the years and people that I happen to know as well. But I would say 99% of the gardenias never make it past, let's say, the first six months of being as a gift or being purchased. It is an extremely difficult plant to grow. I believe that. Because I do very well with with houseplants and plants outside, really, but... Um, this has really been a mystery. Um, right. But if any, you know, for just in general, any plant that starts declining, definitely do not think that putting it into a different pot is going to make a difference. Sometimes that just sends it downhill faster. Okay. So, and all, you know, just like gardenias, they're wonderful. They're great. You know, if you get to smell them, that's perfect. But for the most part, you're just not going to get much out of them. Okay. Well, that was my thought, but I thought I'd give it a stab, you know, kind of, if there was anything that could be done. But thank you very much for the information. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go over to Carol's yard. She lives in Waterloo. Hi, Carol. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, hi. Hey, Mike, I have a question. Um, I have a lot of potted plants. And the the potting mix that I use says that it fertilizes it, their fertilizer for six months. Can I over fertilize if I use like a liquid soluble fertilizer on them in addition to that? For the most part, no, because I mean that fertilizer that comes in the potting mixes that really is not really all that. It doesn't really do a whole lot. And the reason why I'm saying that, and maybe the formula has changed, but when it first came out. I decided to try just using that potting mix with the fertilizer that came in the potting mix on some plants just to see how well they did in comparison to the same variety of plant that I didn't use that type of potting mix with the fertilizer in it, and I just fertilize as I normally do. And it, they were inadequate as far as the ones that just had the fertilizer in the potting mix if you didn't do additional potting or additional fertilizing. Okay, that's what I was wondering about. Because um, the funny thing is, I have two pots that have verbena in it. Um, the one 
is beautiful. It's just bloomed continuously, although, I mean, I did have them daily. But the other pot with the verbena, um, the it's gotten all kind of, it's, it looks like maybe either a fungus or something because it's brown. Um, it's, it's not doing well at all. And they're in the same potting mix, the same location, uh, full sun all day. Right. And they get the same water. So, and, and the same thing with, I have two, uh, um, oh gosh, can't think of the name of, lantanas. Ah. One's beautiful blooming, the other one's kind of just, so can I assume that varieties have something to do with, um, have you had that experience? Oh yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily variety, but sometimes, a, you know, a plant from the same production nursery and everything else it just doesn't have the same adequate root system, even though they're, let's say, cousins of each other. They grew up together, and you've done everything exactly the same. Why one produces better than the other one, it's a little bit tough to say. But you're you're mm-hmm. talking about verbena. Are you talking about lemon verbena? Oh, no, this is a flowering. Um, um, it's a flower. It's, they call it verbena. It's um, It's got flowers all over okay. it. It's probably a cousin to the the herb because it, the leaves kind of look like it, but okay. it's, it's flowers. It's gorgeous. The one I have is just beautiful. Because the, the lemon verbena, the reason why I'm asking is lemon verbena is basically headed, it's already had its big growth spurt, you know, it had all those little bitty flowers along the stem, but it's turning brown just naturally now, this time of year. Mm-hmm. This is a, I think it's a different flower. Okay. Um but I've never had luck with them. But this one this year that I put in is just—it's just gorgeous. And right. I don't know if it's the variety or what it is. But it's, <laughs> you know. But I think I will fertilize. And if that's your advice, to go ahead and yep, definitely do that. Them, yeah. All right. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate sure. your program. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We're heading out to Wentzville and going into Kathy's yard. Hi, Kathy. Hi. I have two questions, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, I have a, a, a blue spruce tree, and it's beautiful, but it got bagworms on it. Ooh. And, yeah, and so I pulled the, the bags off, and, you know, but then I got the spray to spray it, but with this rain, I haven't been able to do it. So now I'm thinking, I guess, how long do I have to wait before I spray it? Well, to be honest with you, unless you see the actual bagworms that have hatched that came out of the bags that were hanging, and you see the little bitty bagworms that are crawling along the stem, spraying is not going to do a darn thing. Well, I don't know what you mean by seeing along the stems. I mean, it looks like they've eaten off a lot of the greenery. Right. But that's the ones that are, you know, that happened basically last year. And that's what it is, is a female is in that bag. She eat, you know, she eats, she makes that bag, then mm-hmm. she lays the eggs in the bag that dangles down, and then the, the eggs sit there, the female dies. The male is a flighted moth. Oh. And then what happens is that bag that dangles down, when the weather's right, the eggs that are inside that bag will hatch. Then they'll come up out of the bag. They'll start chewing and eating, you know, needles or whatever it happens to be. And then Mm -hmm. consequently, then they start, if they're a female, then they start making uh, bags. 
So and they'll do? carry those bags away from where they were born, more or less, and just they'll chew on the way there until they get to be a full mature size bag at the end of their life. Then they, you know, then they attach themselves to a branch, and then consequently, then that bag hangs there, and the female that's in the inside dies, but she's already laid the eggs inside the bag. So now, what do I do? <laughs> Basically, so I took off. I took all the bags off that I could see. Yeah. But you probably didn't get them all. But just keep, you know, keep pulling them off at any of them that you see. Oh, and so spraying is not going to do any good. No, because it can't penetrate those bags. Okay, but I mean, okay, so oh, the only here. time again a spray that is going to be effective is when you see the really young bags walking along. You know, so in other words, it's a female that basically has a bag attached to her. If oh, you see those, they're going to be like any place between a quarter to a half inch long. Oh, see, I don't see anything on there. And it's way at the top more so than in the bottom. Right, so it's tough to see. Yeah, but, uh, well, you know. what I'll do is, um, okay, so now, so I'm thinking in the future. So next year, I'll, should I spray it anyway next year just to be sure? No. Nope. Again, you're just wasting your time unless you're oh. actually hitting the insect directly with the oh. insecticide, you're just wasting time, money, and energy. Oh, for heaven's sakes. Well, they've done a lot of damage to some of the branches. Right. So I don't know how I'm supposed to see them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I did pull the bags off and I disposed of them. I'll go look again today. Boy, they came right back up, though, again. Like, you know, in between the rains, I've been trying to, and I've had a lot of bags on there, so there must be a lot of worms. Well, there probably is, but they've probably already hatched and reattached themselves. Oh, dear. Yeah. Okay. So you got to so, start watching earlier in the season. Okay. So another question. Um, I have always had these, uh, I call their flocks, but they get really tall. And they're beautiful purple flowers. Mm-hmm. But it, as soon as it gets a little warm, it seems like they start burnt, like drying up and dying at the root part. The flowers stay on, but they look really bad, and they look like they almost been burnt or something. Like they're maybe like they were too much fertilized, which I didn't fertilize even. And I don't know what causes that. Um, it's like a browning in the end, of, beginning of the roots of the of the of the flower. Right. So I don't know if there's there's something causing it from the ground up or what. It's probably it's just like, a maturing process. That's just what they do. When they start flowering, then the foliage starts going downhill. They also get powdery mildew on the leaves as well. Yeah. So is there a, should I spray something on that? Yeah. As soon as basically they start coming up, you know, start spraying a fungicide on it. And then, you know, probably every two to three weeks until they come into full flower and then no more spraying after that because it's not going to do any good. So basically start in the spring. Right, exactly. Well, thanks for all your information, and I called because I thought you weren't so busy today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's fine. (laughs) Because you're always busy. Okay, nice talking to you. Thank you very much. thank you. Bye. And now let's see, where should we go? How about over to Jeanette's yard? Hi, Jeanette. Yes, hello. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, we have a number of holly trees that have come up on their own, and we want to transplant them into our yard. So this spring, my husband spaded around them, and I'm wondering, can we transplant them this fall, or would it be better to wait until next spring? So yeah, with, I'm sorry, there was a little bit of an interruption there. So uh, what was the, the deal with, the, with your holly seedlings? Well, they came up on their own. Right. 
and we want to transplant them into our yard. Okay. So my husband spaded around them in the spring. Right. And I'm wondering, can we plant them this fall, or is it better, since they're hollies, is it better to wait until spring? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't do it in the fall. And probably, ideally, you would dig them up and put them in pots and grow them in a pot for you know a year or two. But if you don't want to do that, then do it in the spring. Don't transplant them going into wintertime. Okay, and should we maybe spade around them a second time this fall? Yeah, it wouldn't hurt, but uh, you don't have to spade all that much because if these are young seedlings, they're pretty small. Well, they're about four feet tall. Four, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> you know, to be honest with you, you're going to have a difficult time getting these things to transplant, even in the spring. Oh, so we should go for smaller ones. Right. Uh, about how tall should we look now, for? Probably a, a foot, you know, around a foot would be the maximum. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I think there's some little ones we can use instead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good luck. All right. Thank you. Wow. Four-foot-high ceiling. And, Mr. Kelly, what's going on? Well, we are getting a word. John Heyman, our Radio.com baseball insider, is reporting that the Cardinals-Brewers game this evening has been postponed after some players and staff reportedly tested positive for coronavirus. And uh, so no official word from the Cardinals or from Major League Baseball yet, but John Hyman, our insider, says that the game's been postponed. This is, of course, a developing story. You can go to camwatch.com. On the front page, there is uh, updates constantly, and Uh so we'll keep you updated here on the radio as well. So it looks like no Cardinals baseball tonight here on KMOX. Bummer. Yes. I got a question about strawberries. Sure. No, I'll ask you later. (laughs) (laughs) 436-7900. And let's see, where should we go? Let's go over to Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Hello. Hi. How are you today, Mark? Very good. Hey, uh, my in-laws have a pin oak in their front yard, and little pieces of the limbs of not the limbs, you know, like looks like the end of the branches are falling off. They're still green, you know, like something might have chewed them off. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious of what that could be. It's if probably it's squirrels. Or... Exactly. It is squirrels. Take a look at the, you know, what's been chewed off. And if the, the cut of uh, the twig that has fallen is like at a 45 degree angle, then it's definitely squirrels. All right. And if it's like if there's a ball on the end of where the branch, you know, has dropped, and that's a gall. That's something completely different. Right. right. No, the, the there's no galls on them. Okay. And they, you know, they're perfectly green when they fall. Right. And it's been doing it for a couple of months now. Yeah, the squirrels are just, uh, I mean, they're practicing. The young ones are practicing making nests and just, you know, cutting twigs off and stuff like that. And they don't have anything to do, so, I mean, to keep their teeth from overgrowing, then they do the chewing, like on branches. All righty. Thank you, sir, and have a great weekend. You do the very same thing. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Speaking of Cardinals, it seems really confusing on what's going to be happening today. But anyway, let's head over to Pat's yard in Collinsville. Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, I know there was another lady that called in about a gardenia. Mm -hmm. Uh, I received one for Mother's Day. It's beautiful. It's about four feet tall with a twisted trunk. 
Um, it was fully loaded with buds when I received it. It came from a big box store. Uh, but those original buds rotted and fell off. Right. So we've been feeding and watering and, and doing what we're supposed to, and now it's fully budded once again. But uh, I, I was wondering, <laughs> is there any chance I'll ever get any blooms? Uh, I know they're supposed to like um, acid soil, so my husband Googled it, and they said uh, put some co- used coffee grounds around it. So I've done that a couple of times. And uh, it, it, it looks great, and it's healthy, but it, the the buds just don't want to seem to open and flower, right. uh, you think. Basically, it takes a lot of energy for any plant to be able to produce flowers, actually, that open up and everything else. So even ones that we don't even ever consider the potential of them not flowering. So it's just going to be a roll of the dice whether you're going to get any flowers or not. Okay, well, I thought maybe you might have some magic words for me to say around <laughs> it or on it or whatever. Yeah. But like I said, it, it's beautiful. Right. And, uh, you know, winter, this house, my home, is not conducive to indoor plant life in Uh-oh. the winter. So I guess when that time comes, I just let it go. Yeah, that's the only thing you can do unless you have, like, a bright, sunny window, you know, or a double, you know, screen door, storm door or whatever where it can yeah. get a whole lot of light, because if it doesn't get a whole lot of light, it's just going to be a slow, downhill process. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. My husband said, well, he's already had one gardenia call, <laughs> and is, well, he's going to get a second one, because right. I need to hear more information. So my tree seems to be a little bit better shaped than the other ladies, but thanks so much for your help. Sure, my pleasure. I wish I had the magical gardenia incantation, but I really <laughs> don't. So let's stay in oh. Illinois and go from Collinsville down to Belleville and go into Ray's yard. Hi, Ray. Well, good morning. Uh, my question would be, how can I kill Euonymus ground cover vines? Ooh, that's t- the winter creeper Euonymus is very, very tough. Basically get a roundup for killing woody plants. Then stomp, yeah. stomp all over it or mow it or whatever, and right after you stomp or mow, then spray the Roundup, and it's probably going to take applications for two, or two, you know, a couple years before you're going to get rid of it all. Uh, well, I've used a lot of Roundup, and it don't touch it. Now, this is Roundup for killing woody plants. This is not regular Roundup. Well, woody plants. Yeah, so it'll say Roundup, poison ivy killer, woody plant killer. Regular Roundup won't do a darn thing to it. you got to get the specific one. It's a formula that's much stronger that kills... You know, honeysuckle, it kills, you know, winter creeper, euonymus, and any kind of woody plant material. Poison ivy. Okay, now you've got the wood, the uh, euonymus ground cover. Is that the same as the vines that grow up the big trees? It could be. They're, the majority of them are the same, but there is a few different varieties of euonymus that will climb, too. Yeah, because there's some vines up a tree that are heck, an inch and a half thick. Uh, right. They're big, big vines. Right. Roundup for woody plants. Right, I exactly. will give that. I'll give that a try. I yeah. certainly thank you. Yeah, on the label it'll say Roundup poison ivy killer and woody plants, you know, killer. Poison ivy. Yeah, regular Roundup will kill poison ivy, but uh, yeah, it but... hasn't done anything to this Euronymous yeah. ground covers. Right, uh, it's tough. Yeah, I'll give. I'll give it a try. Thank you, Mike. Sure. And let's go now over to Maryland Yard. Hi, Maryland. 
Hello. Hello. Mike? Yes. Okay, I didn't know if you could hear me. We've had some landscaping done this spring, and most of it is um, low-growing and evergreen, like the red twig dogwood and some small boxwood and things like that. On three corners of our house, I suggested that the uh, landscaper might want to put something taller that had some flowers on it. So he said, well, how about some hydrangea? And I said, well, that I didn't know anything about them, but that would be great, you know. So he planted three Monarch Cafe wild hydrangeas. Mm-hmm. They had flowers that are, looked like a flower that was flat, but it looked like it was going to bloom on each of the plants. And uh, they've survived and done well, but nothing has happened to these. So he said, well, maybe they had already bloomed, and maybe that's just the seed pods. Well, you you can't tell. It's not any different. They're still green. And uh, what I'm wondering is, is there any hope for these? He said he would remove them and do something else if I would prefer that. So what do you suggest? So uh, is this a sunny or shady area? It's It gets maybe all uh, partial sun. I would say go with the oak leaf hydrangea. Now they're going to get bigger too. Now I will tell you too, even if he got the dwarf red twig dogwood, they get pretty tall themselves. Okay. Well, he said we'd have to keep trimming these back. So right. The dogwood, uh-huh. Okay. So well, I leaf, haven't, yeah, try the oak leaf hydrangea. Uh, I have another question. We have a flagpole that has, uh, we have put stones around it. I guess it's about six foot across. And uh, the plants that I put in there, I won't go into, but that hasn't worked out. What would you suggest is just a ground cover, gets partial sun, and uh, that takes little care. Uh, let's see. In that circumstance, you want it to grow in between the stones? No, no, around the flagpole. The stones kind of circle the flagpole. Oh, so the stones are the edger. Like the frame, yeah. Right. So I would say you could try a juga if you wanted to. A-J-U-G-A. Does that get very tall? It's very short. Okay. So it grows basically flat. Mm-hmm. Another one, if you want something evergreen, which the ajuga is not, would be Pacassandra. All right. Okay. Well, I thank you. Enjoy your program and listen to you every week. Well, thank you. Thanks for calling. And thank you. Let's see. Where should we go? Let's go over to Barb's yard. Hi, Barb. Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, the usual two questions, but first a bit of trivia. You know squirrels live for 18 years? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> so if you've got them, which I have four or five, you're, you're doomed. You've got to deal with them. <laughs> uh, a question about uh, why do leaves fall off of mandevilles? Mandeville vines? Yes. You know, it's just they don't, they don't like our environment. Let's put it that way. They're tropical plants. They, you know, they look great when you buy them. They're coming out of greenhouses in a perfect environment. And regardless of where you're growing them, if you're talking about you have them outside growing on a trellis or you have them inside just in a pot or whatever it happens to be, that they just drop the leaves because they can't afford to support them all. Okay. They're like 10 feet high climbing over the trellis, but the leaves are falling off. Right. 
the other question is with wisteria, my it's like six, seven feet tall, five foot wide. I cut it back to about two feet every year, mm-hmm. and it grows back out. Uh, if I cut these uh, runners off that are five or six feet long, uh, because they're they're taking up too much space, I don't too much shade. Uh, will that hurt it? I uh, shouldn't. I wouldn't do it this time of year. Oh, I, I would. You know, because you got the potential of opening a wound and then potential fungus problems getting in there. Now, uh, these, these are long. You know, five or six, the size of a pencil, maybe or right. littler. But it's still an open wound. I don't like to do any kind of pruning. In the okay. heat of the summertime. Does cutting those off keep it from flowering? Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I Pruning wisterias so. is exactly what you do if you don't want any flowers. You shouldn't but, prune but, it at but all. But I can cut it down for the winter and still get go through the cycle the next year? But you won't probably get any flowers. Well, Oh, I see. Okay. So you're okay. you're kind of cutting off potential flowers. I see. Well, it's making too much shade. Right. Okay, thank you. Sure. Thank you. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Oh, nice breeze. As I look out the window, we're seeing the backside of uh, the north side of the Soldiers Memorial The Missouri flag is really blowing, so it looks like the wind is coming out of the north, so that's why it is so cool outside. Let's head over to Liddy's yard. Hi, Liddy. Hi there. Um, I would like you to comment on the pros and cons of a sassafras tree. As far as, well, they're colonizers, so in other words, you just don't have a single tree. They're going to send, you know, you buy one tree, and then it'll send out rhizomes underneath the ground, and then they'll put up new shoots from that. Uh, gray fall color, and uh, you know the obviously nice, <laughs> nice flavor. But uh, you know, I think for an understory tree, they're not classically considered spectacular, but uh, they're very interesting. Are they invasive? Yes, that's you know very much okay. Well, not they're not like bamboo or anything. So okay. if you put one in. It's going to take several years before it's established enough where it's going to start sending, you know, rhizomes underneath the soil where another tree would come up. Then you can always cut that tree, you know, the new new shoot coming up out of the ground. You can just cut it off at ground level. So and and then to get the fruit, do you have to for the for the birds? Do you have to have more than one tree? No, you don't. But it's going to take a long time before you're going to get any fruit on it. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, growing up in uh, you know West County way back when, when it was Ellisville, uh, well, it's still Ellisville, but uh, there was all kinds of uh, sassafras trees all over. They sort of like edged a lot of the woods area, so it was really kind of fun. And now let's go over to Donna's yard. Hi, Donna. Good morning. I have a question about a clematis. It's a multi-vine clematis, and every year some of them turn brown, and it looks pretty gross. Some are nice and vibrant and green. Some are brown and all curled up. Every year it happens. It still flowers. but And then I wanted to know, uh, fall trimming, is it okay for a lace leaf hydrangea, crepe myrtle, holly, and a burning bush? Uh, burning bush, yes. Crepe myrtle, yes. You can do it in the fall or you can wait till spring on both those before the new growth begins. Now, what was the third one? 
holly and lace leaf hydrangea? Yeah, I wouldn't prune the holly at all. Just okay. leave it alone. And what and, about the lace leaf hydrangea? And with a with a ho- lace leaf hydrangea, I would wait until springtime to do that. With the hollies, prune it when we're coming. If it's, if it's an evergreen holly, prune yeah. it when we're coming out of winter time. Out of winter. Oh, okay. Right. So just before spring strike. Right. Okay. Okay. And then the clematis, it, those brown leaves. I mean, vines. Part of them are always turning brown. Part now, do of you them cut staking. this? How how old is this clematis? Um, I've been here five years, and it was here. When I came, so okay. I don't really know the age. Basically, you think it's just getting too old? Uh, I mean, it could be. And also, okay. if this the clematis like an alkaline soil, so you might get some lime and put it at the base of it. And oh, I would, acidic soil I have, sure. Yeah, not yeah. If you got acidic soil, that's not the best thing for a clematis. Okay, got it. All right, thank you, Mike. Appreciate sure. it. My pleasure. Mm-hmm. And now let's head over to Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Hey, Mike, I was wondering uh, if you could tell me, I've got about 13 potted plants, and they're still in the hanging basket planters, and I do have some Osamocote fertilizer. Uh, how often should I be fertilizing? And I do water thorough every day with the heat. Am I doing okay or what? Yeah, you don't need to water that much. And as far as Osmocote as a fertilizer, you can certainly use that. Probably every two to three weeks should be adequate. Okay. Uh, not overpowering, just a few pellets or? Yeah. Uh, probably a few pellets is not really going to do all that well. Just sprinkle enough so they're, you know, around the surface of your, you know, of your hanging baskets. So there's a couple inches in between each one. And that's probably all you need to do. Okay, now what about on a butterfly bush that's under or that has mulch around it? Should I throw some around it also? Uh, no, it doesn't. Okay. You know, basically, Osmocote is not going to be able to penetrate through the mulch. So if you okay. want to pull the mulch back, I would have done it in the earlier spring because you don't want to, you know, sort of force some growth later on in the season. You know, on something like a right. butterfly bush. I did early spring, so I'll probably wait till next early spring and pull some back and throw it down. Right. Sounds perfect. And thank you for your program. We appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me on your show. I greatly appreciate it. And, Russ, if you could do it real quick. Yeah. Real yeah, this quick. Is, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. So I've uh, got a couple of cherry trees, fairly young. Uh, trunks are two to three inches in diameter. seems like this time every year the leaves get yellow and, and a large percentage of them fall off. I don't know if I'm not fertilizing enough or if they're just burning up or what's going on there. It's just a natural habit with the cherry trees. A lot of the crab apple varieties do the very same thing. So it's I'm not doing anything wrong? No. As long as they look healthy, you know, up to this point, then this is what should be happening because, it, you know, it's just it's they're reflecting what's going on as far as the weather goes. They don't really like, depending upon the variety of cherries they are, it may be just too hot for them. Got it. Okay, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. And thanks to everybody for calling in. I'm greatly appreciated, and hopefully we can get this whole cardinal thing arranged and straightened out. Boy, oh boy, <laughs> this whole world is just totally nuts. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, thanks for having me on your show. I greatly appreciate it, and I'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. 
And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.